Welcome back to Building Wealth on the Go, a podcast by KLT Wealth Management. Today is Thursday, April 16th, 2020, and this is Season 1, Episode 7. This is also the third week in a row we are releasing a podcast episode, so there's lots of great content to listen to, so make sure to go check out the last few weeks uh, of episodes. A few weeks back, we had our first special guest on the podcast, and today we are very excited to once again have another special guest. So we wish to thank and acknowledge McKenzie Investments for sponsoring Mike Anderson to our podcast. Mike is a district vice president of sales and has been working in the financial services industry for over 10 years, the last five of which have been spent at McKenzie Investments. Mike spends most of his time as a liaison between portfolio managers and financial advisors, acting as a resource and a partner to help advisors and investors understand the depth of products, strategies and value-added services available in today's complex and constantly evolving landscape. So Mike, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks Brad and uh, happy to be here. Appreciate uh, you having me on today. Yeah, Mike, um, th thanks again for, uh, for attending on the podcast here. Uh, let's just jump right in here into some uh, product information. Uh, one of our favorite uh, funds on our books is the McKenzie Global Strategic Income. I think we love this fund, like uh, free go to any go, basically goes anywhere in the world to find sort of stocks and, and fixed income. And we love sort of the managers, Steve Locke, uh, Darren McKernan and, and Constantine uh, Bomer on this uh, particular fund. Maybe you can share some information with our listeners in terms of uh, the fund itself and what the managers are kind of doing during these times a little bit. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Joe. So, you know, for all of our managers on that fund and and um, and uh, a lot of them at McKenzie, you know, this is certainly not the first time they're going through and navigating something this drastic. Uh, obviously, this is a health crisis and the sell off. It happened so, so fast. It was widespread. It was indiscriminate. Uh, it affected a lot of sectors and businesses quite disproportionately. So that being said, there's always opportunities to upgrade the portfolio and get our investors in the best shape possible for the road ahead. So uh, Darren McKiernan himself, uh, he's essentially been glued to his screens. You know, he's watching the markets and the portfolio at the speed at which companies are, are, uh, are moving to the news. Um, you know, he takes a short break after North American markets close at four, and then he's back to the monitor for, for Japanese markets opening at 8 PM. So they strongly think this is really the most critical time where clients need the team to be doing everything we can to position the portfolio for the road ahead. So this is exactly why their discipline process is so important in these environments. So speaking more specific to the equity side, um, with Darren, he would always ask the question, you know, what businesses at this time do we own? that we wouldn't be thrilled to add to the position if they were down 20 to 25%. So if there was any question in their conviction or they felt the company might not have the balance sheets to withstand significant stress going forward, then they would position, uh, you know, position the portfolio to, to reduce that, uh, to reduce that company and or replace it. So to summarize, uh, you know, the team, they haven't been standing still at all. They've turned over more than 20% of the portfolio. They've sold down or eliminated 24 names. They've added 16 new companies. So really, really active. And hearing from Darren quite recently, they've been more active than they ever have before and believe the portfolio is in the best position for future performance since they took it over in 2014. So I would just, uh, I would just mention that's why it's, it's really so important to, to react quickly in times of market turbulence. So Darren, Steve, the entire team, uh, they've cultivated this list of 350 names. They call it their dividend dream team. 
So during periods of market dislocation, like we've seen, they need to react quickly and nimbly, and they don't want to be running around like a, like a chicken without its head, right? So, you know, the day in and day out research really throughout the year is, is focused on that list, adding, removing names. So really, they're only looking at what they consider to be the best dividend companies in the world. Yeah, you, you know, they're, they're certainly doing their job. We look at, at their historical returns and compare it to their benchmark. And, and even year to date, based on our screens, we're only seeing it's down 2.43% compared to the benchmark of uh, down 67 uh, And last year, they did like 13%. So a double digit return for a balance fund, which is truly amazing. And I know a lot of listeners out there, they, they're not keen on sort of balance funds. But, uh, you know, th this is certainly a great team of managers that work together. Can you share with us a little bit about maybe some names in the stock portfolio, either that they're holding, buying, or possibly even getting out of? Uh, I know a lot of the listeners often uh, ask us those questions. Yeah, so, so in terms of long-term holdings, uh, stock exchanges always come to mind. It's been their biggest subsector exposure for a while now. Uh, Darren would say, you know, it checks all the boxes, extremely high return businesses, very little capital requirement. They're highly regulated, you know, a number of competitive advantages. These are all things that we really look for. So, you know, an example from a, from stock exchanges, I mean, they benefit from network effects. So every incremental customer that goes into a financial exchange actually adds to the liquidity pool and helps reduce the cost of the spreads. So that's beneficial to everyone. Essentially, these exchanges are the financial plumbing of capital markets. And if you think about what they, what they were 20 years ago and how they've evolved, you know, 20 years ago, it was just a bunch of people in a pit wearing colored, uh, you know, colored jackets yelling at a screen. Today, they're basically servers and software with very little capital required. So because of this, they have incredible progressive dividend policies. Not only do they have very good payout ratios, but many of these financial exchanges end up paying special dividends over time because the amount of money they need to invest to keep the business growing at an above average rate is, is quite little. So a few of the names that come to mind in our portfolio, Deutsche Börse, uh, London Stock Exchange, and CME, just to name a, name a few there. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and for stocks that they're getting out of? Yeah. Uh, so the or world industries more than anything else, probably. Industries, stocks, yeah. I mean, the, the world is ever-changing. Um, I mean, no matter how much work you've done on a company, how well you think you know the management, or how well you, you really understand the business, uh, you can still get it wrong. So a perfect example in this coronavirus environment is, is any travel-related business. You know, if you looked at that industry three months ago, you could, uh, you could know any of those businesses inside out and you probably weren't modeling in the impact of COVID-19. So some of these travel related businesses are right in the eye of the storm right now. Uh, we think that they're going to have a much more challenged path to recovery on the other side of this. So this is just a, an example of, of industries that we, um, for now, are, are steering clear of. Yeah, I think we've talked about it in previous podcasts is the whole travel industry and, and the cruise ships. But uh, to a certain degree, I guess a long term investor, like you, you get into some of these uh, names that uh, they, they ultimately will survive and uh, come out of this. It's just sort of that time uh, to wait for, for that particular industry, especially on the travel side. 
Absolutely, and and uh, and you've hit a bang on there. Um, I just think for for Darren or or uh, you know some of the other portfolio managers, you would look at like Adina De Gear. Um, these are some areas where um, you know there there may be some financial uh, or tail risk. So for now, we're we're avoiding it, but uh, but longer term, certainly there could be be opportunity in that space. Yeah. Let me switch gears a little bit and sure. and move to uh, another fund that we really like is the McKenzie Unconstrained Fixed Income Fund. And and I know a lot of uh, clients are, are never keen on sort of the whole fixed income fund. Uh, I think the, the issue that they often run into is that they don't like paying the management fee for just buying a bond and sitting on it. But this is a unique product. This is an amazing product. And, and, uh, um, uh, I know just for our listeners in terms of sort of the breadth of this product, um, I know there's a good piece on the McKenzie website that talks about the different pieces that are part of the, the fixed income strategy here. Maybe you can, you know, discuss that a little bit. Yeah. So we, when we launched the McKenzie unconstrained fund, uh, we had found that more investors were looking for flexibility in their fixed income to navigate a low yield and challenging fixed income environment, but also allow that flexibility to rebalance and provide that safety net and cushion when, when equity markets decline, like we've seen in 2020. So on that note, there are certainly some areas of fixed income that tend to perform better in a falling rate environment, like we've been seeing throughout the pandemic. You know, government bonds, Canadian long-term bonds, investment grade, these all really tend to do well in these kind of environments. But on the other end of the spectrum, there are some segments that do better in a declining rate environment, like we had seen, um, uh, sorry, in a, in a rising rate environment, like we had seen sort of leading up to, to Q4 of 2018. And that would include things like loans and, and high yield. So the unconstrained fund itself, it's run by the head of our fixed income desk, Steve Locke, and it gives us that flexibility to explore the broad fixed income universe for best risk adjusted opportunities for investors. So we can go anywhere. In times of economic uncertainty, we can move towards that quality, more investment grade, uh, sort of add duration. But in terms of prosperity uh, and in times of expansion, we can also take controlled risk in areas like high yields and loans. So the only constraint actually uh, that the portfolio has is a put option strategy or insurance, we like to think of it on that high yield sleeve. So put options, just for some of the listeners, um, essentially they're bets that the price of the underlying asset is going to fall. So they're used to guard against losses in an asset that we already own. So in this case, it would be high yield. And when we, when we buy the put option on that high yield sleeve, we're essentially locking in a selling price until the expiration date. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to date, um, Joe, sorry to interject there. Uh, just to date, I would mention that that option strategy has really kicked in. Um, and helped on the downside over the last couple of months. It's actually added about 7% of performance to the unconstrained fund uh, this year. Yeah, again, like you're looking at the performance and even historically, like you're even like uh, year to date, it's only down 0.88 of a percent. It, it And the category itself is down 7.7%. So uh, amazing, amazing strategy. And uh, the risk tolerance on this on this particular fund is low risk. So this is kind of like you're comparable to your your GIC sort of low risk investment. Um, and we, we don't see this too often in this type of a fixed income type product and 
And, uh, and I know too, uh, I guess in 2018, when we did get that downturn, it did very well compared to its category. So an interesting, uh, we talked about this on another podcast, but and I'm sure that uh, maybe you can share a little bit of what Steve is sort of thinking uh, in the current environment, as you alluded to. Uh, there's something interesting happening in that fixed income uh, space with the fact of uh, the spread in, in yields. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely an opportunity we're seeing on the, on the high yield side uh, with spreads widening so much over the last couple of months. Um, you know, I'll, I'll sort of preface that conversation by mentioning, you're right, the unconstrained fund, it did its, exactly its job to, to protect client capital in the sell-off. Uh, we had really added quality to the portfolio and exited a lot of the higher risk positions beforehand, like anything related to energy and gaming. Um, and we've also seized the unique buying opportunity in these dislocated credit markets on defensive names at really, really discounted prices. So that'll continue to enhance returns in itself. Uh, but that active management need, the, the flexibility of the strategy can really set us up to capture some upside once the recovery is underway. And that's where active security selection will really help us avoid defaults on the high yield or credit side, uh, which we may see uh, in the coming months. So like you said, Joe, um, we are seeing a big opportunity to, to rebalance that portfolio. Uh, high yield spreads had widened quite sizably over the sell-off. Uh, reaching as much as 1,100 basis points. So the last 25 times actually in history that spreads crossed over 900 basis points, the returns for high yields have been quite staggering. So on average, the annualized returns in high yield over 12 months following was 36%. Over 24 months, it was an annualized 26%. And 36 months, annualized 21%. So again, the 25 times that, that spreads have got as wide as, as 900 basis points, 100% of the time, uh, those were the average returns and those returns have been positive. So already, uh, Steve Locke and his team, they've picked away at a few issues on the 60 cents on the dollar range, and they're beginning to, to reposition the portfolio for a more aggressive high yield play. So what we're actually seeing coming down the pipeline is that as we get a little bit more confidence in in, the, uh, in, in a recovery, um, we'll be able to loosen the strike price as well, which essentially lowers the cost of that put option insurance in times that we don't need the protection as much. So I just sort of reiterate that this fund is, is really unique in the, in the ability to shift its composition and emphasizes its purpose as an all weather core fixed income product. Yeah, like as a as a fixed income, it, it's really not uh, uh, buy and forget it type of a deal. It's certainly a lot of activity happening in this one. Uh, yeah, I just want to switch gears to Canada here, more local. Um, we've worked with the Blue Water team with McKenzie, and we have a couple of their products on our shelves, the McKenzie Canadian Growth and the McKenzie Growth Balance with Dina DeGreer, what are there is her team looking at currently right now? Yeah, so, so this is actually uh, Dina's fourth time going through something like this, and she'll always emphasize the importance of adopting in these circumstances. So I mentioned it previously when we were talking about Darren's fund, um, you know, the sell-off, it was so widespread and indiscriminate for the most part. So it shouldn't actually be affecting every company and industry equally. So in February, the team decided they needed to go through every name in the portfolio and try and quantify the impacts on company revenues going forward. 
So they actually came up with a rating system that they've used in the past. And they would just simply uh, rate companies red, yellow, or green, right? So any companies that were considered to be red are in the eye of the storm. So that would be anything related to travel or large social gatherings, um, you know, cruise lines, airlines, things like that for now. And although the valuations could look attractive, uh, Dina's team, they don't ever take on financial or tail risk. So these are names that they had reduced or, or eliminated completely. The companies that they hold right now are less economically sensitive. So no levered businesses, clean balance sheets, strong free cash flow, all investment grade. Uh, they'd have a preference to non-discretionary non businesses right now as well as service businesses and any companies with reoccurring revenue streams. So some examples, Courtney, of this would be, you know, any, anything essential, uh, services, food, non-discretionary goods. Uh, a lot of these businesses have been really resilient. Uh, just to name a few that are in the, in the portfolio, uh, Dollarama, uh, Jameson, any sort of grocery stores. I think we own Metro uh, in the portfolio, uh, hospital utilization companies, uh, the likes of which. So, in essence, they're all put through a stress test to see if they can survive even the ugliest scenario. And Dina's incredibly confident that, that all of their businesses held will be standing and healthy on the other side of this crisis. What about opportunities specifically in Canada? Uh, so in Canada, um, as far as opportunities go, I mean, Dina, uh, Dina has that ability in her portfolio to find the best of the best businesses in Canada. Uh, so more than 50% of the portfolio has got to be in Canada. Um, but we do also have that flexibility to move up to 49% of the equities outside of Canada to take advantage of global opportunities. So this is why I think the, the fund's quite unique. Uh, and for a Canadian focus manager, Dina has been uh, somewhat bearish on, on, on some of the traditional sectors in Canada for a while now. Uh, obviously, the strength of our economy is, is often pegged to energy and financials. So that's really one of the biggest differentiators between the Canadian Growth Fund and the benchmark, as well as a lot of the peers, uh, it's on the energy front. So we went from, you know, we went to a zero weighting in energy last year and had steadily been reducing that exposure for the last four years. The catalyst here was realizing that electrification um, was coming down the pipeline. And they strongly think this is going to be a theme that's expected to, to play out over the next 10, 15 years. But um, banks in Canada are, are pretty phenomenal. Uh, we primarily hold Royal Bank, uh, but we had been reducing exposure to other banks over the last six months just because of interest rates and the shape of the yield curve. So right now, just in regards to, to banks, um, you know, we, we don't think the overall effect uh, to business, you know, it really won't be positive, but we aren't seeing anything that looks like the 08 financial crisis from a financial standpoint. Uh, growth rates will be lower and, and credit losses will increase for a while. But I think here, uh, the important uh, note to take is that 50% is going to be core Canada. Uh, we're going to find the best we can here. And then the remaining 50%, we're going to go out and find unique compounding businesses that'll do better than the peers and the market over time. So, so Mike, uh, I just want to move uh, move on to kind of a, a unique uh, product that McKenzie has in its in its lineup there, um, and one that I, I've actually uh, been able to listen to the manager speak on. But uh, it's the high diversification portfolios because they have a they have a unique strategy. Um, so, just if you could touch on that, kind of explain a bit about the managers there and and their way of picking stocks. Um, I think it'd be really uh, cool for our listeners to hear about them. 
Sure. Um, yeah, Brad, I, I love talking about these guys. Um, they, they certainly aren't your typical manager uh, at all, really. Uh, they're more mathematicians, actually. So it's a super unique company uh, through one of our sub-advisors. They're called TOBAM, which stands for Think Out of the Box Asset Management. Um, essentially, they've created and patented a strategy. Uh, so they've, they've got patents on this, on this strategy, and it's called the diversification ratio. Um, so, so this manager itself, I mean, they've, they've won a number of awards in, in Europe. They've actually won Equity Manager of the Year in, in 2015. Uh, but we essentially think of them as anti-benchmark strategies. So that maximum diversification or high diversification approach, it's essentially a, a quant style uh, looking to outperform market cap weighted indices with less risk by increasing diversification. So Brad, the argument is really that passive indices like the S&P 500 or MSCI World or, or uh, TSX, um, they're all market cap weighted. So they are allocating their biggest weightings to stocks and sectors as they get more expensive. So on that note, when many asset classes are so closely correlated, this can also create uh, structural issues for a passive index. So, right. so the black swan events, you know, they really come from time to time as well. Uh, you know, we're seeing it with coronavirus right now, you know, another black swan moment and, you know, something that you really can't forecast. So the idea of, of these high diversification funds is that the best way to invest is not to forecast the future, but rather to build the most diversified portfolio possible. So we, we try and build exactly that, you know, the most diversified portfolio across any given universe of assets. So I'd ask you, I mean, this portfolio is unique because it doesn't actually have a bias. You know, what are a few biases that you might run into um, when you're sort of looking at, at portfolios? Could be large cap, small large cap, cap, value. Tech, rates. high tech, mm -hmm. you know, companies, Nortel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Nortels, the Blackberries, Blackberries. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so you're exactly right. I mean, these these are all biases that uh, that certain managers may look to to uh, to utilize in in their in their research and putting together portfolios. So, this is what makes the product unique. The high diversification portfolios actually have no bias, whereas the market cap weighted benchmark is hugely biased. So, they'll always argue that you know, these, mar these market cap weighted indices, you know, they continuously buy what is expensive and what's becoming more expensively valued. So it's a cheap way to buy expensive stocks. So when the benchmark bets are winning, uh, you know, we may underperform a little bit, but where, you know, where there is risk, when there's, when there's volatility, uh, we certainly tend to perform uh, better than the benchmark as we won't be as concentrated. So just a great core or complement to, to any investor portfolio out there. Yeah, and I can tell just by looking at the returns, and I mean, it hasn't been around for, for too long with, with you at McKenzie, but um, year to date, down only around 6% for a, a global equity fund, and in 2018, down only around 2%. Um, so really protecting a lot more on the downside, being extremely diversified. Has the outlook changed from, from Tobam and, and their managers, or any sort of uh, processes changed for them, or is it because of the such unique strategy that they take, this is what they're kind of prepared for in their, in their strategy. Yeah. I mean, they, again, they're not, they're, they're not looking at companies um, on a company by company basis. It's, it's really just ensuring that the portfolio itself, every single security in, in each respective portfolio, whether it's been the, the global portfolio that, uh, 
that, that you guys like um, or a Canadian portfolio or a US portfolio. Uh, they want to ensure that every single security in that portfolio is, least, is as least correlated to the next as possible. Right. So I always, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I always like the, um, I always like the, uh, the example of, of BlackBerry actually, um, you know, obviously hits close to home. It's uh, I live in Waterloo, but uh, if you look at the Tobam portfolios, BlackBerry in 2011, uh, the Canadian index owned half the BlackBerry stock that the high diversification index would have held, but we still right. outperformed by 6%. The reason is that every security in the portfolio was as least correlated to BlackBerry, whereas the index had many other companies that were correlated to, to the price of BlackBerry. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's I think, it, I think it should be noted too, I think, because of, uh, you know, in this world of, of exchange traded funds, which everybody thinks is really popular and you're basically buying an index. And uh, where you have a product here, uh, which effectively this is an exchange traded fund, is it not? Or, or with, a, with a mutual fund wrapper. Uh, so there is a low MER cost to it. But it, it's so unique in, in that um, uh, of its weightings compared to a regular index that uh, it beats the index. So I think it's a great mm -hmm. fund. Yeah, I mean, they, um, they typically say that, that over a cycle, um, you, can, you can usually expect 1% to 3% um, outperformance with, with 20%, uh, 15 to 20% less, less volatility than the, uh, than the index. Yeah, it's excellent. It's such a unique, unique product. And as Joe mentioned, you know, the ability to keep costs low and kind of act as, as an ETF in a sense is, is really unique as well. And, and Mike, I'll just pass it over to you, uh, kind of to, to close up, uh, thanks so much again for joining us. But if you've got any uh, kind of closing comments or any tips or strategies or outlooks for any in, uh, investors, any listeners out there right now, uh, we'd really appreciate uh, if you've had have anything to kind of wrap up here. Yeah, sure. Uh, again, thanks so much for for having me on. I'll, I'll start by saying, you know, I got to commend all of you at KLT Wealth for for getting this podcast up and running. Uh, you know, what a great way to keep in contact with your investors and, and listeners throughout this difficult period. And, uh, and also provide something educational. Uh, these kind of environments, obviously, it's really important to, to keep in touch with your financial advisor. And for those listeners, uh, you've got a great group here at, at KLT Wealth. Uh, this is obviously an environment for, for active management, uh, but more importantly, professional financial advice as well, really to manage the emotions and, and make the best decisions for your long-term goals. So that would be kind of my two cents. And uh, again, it was, uh, it was a pleasure to, to be on here today. I appreciate you, uh, you bringing me on. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. And uh, yeah. again, we really appreciate, appreciate you and Mackenzie uh, for allowing this to take place today. And uh, if, uh, if you haven't yet, make sure to check out previous episodes. Uh, and we've, we're taking comments and requests for any future episodes of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. And for now, uh, have a great day. Thank you for listening. Please note that the opinions and ideas shared are from the viewpoint of KLT Wealth Management. They do not reflect the opinion or viewpoints of Investia Financial Services, Inc. or any other partners. The commentary provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. You should not act upon the content or information discussed here without first seeking the appropriate personalized advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. 
We try to provide content that is true and accurate as of the date of recording. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents. We assume no responsibility for information consumed through this podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Mutual funds and or approved exempt market products are offered through Investia Financial Services, Inc. Insurance products are provided through multiple insurance carriers and or approved exempt market products are offered through Investia Financial Services, Inc.